0: You're listening to Moving Forward with Dr. Lynn Swanner. Today's podcast is part of the Flourishing Leaders series, where we explore ways to transform your school community. This podcast is a production of the Association of Christian Schools International. Listen and learn more about flourishing at blog.acsi.org. Today's podcast features Marianne Van Gore, Director of Leadership at Advance in Ontario, Canada. And I'm excited to talk with Marianne about the flourishing school's construct of God's story, where students believe they are a part of God's bigger plan and can be used by him to make a difference. The books Flourishing Together and Mind Shift, Catalyzing Change in Christian Education both feature Marianne's and the team's work at Halton Hills Christian School outside of Toronto where Marianne was a principal previously as a case study. So Marianne, I'm hoping we can dive into that story a bit, but
1: first, welcome. Thank you, Lynn. It's so good to be here with you and your your listeners. Excited to to share my story.
0: Well, we're excited to hear from you. So just to start off a little bit, can you tell us some of that story, sort of your, your, your story in Christian education and how that question, which we talk about in the case stories of what does love require, really became a pivotal one in your story and in Halton Hills' story.
1: I'd love to start with that. So I have been in Christian education for over 40 years, which kind of blows my mind when I think about it. Through that time, I've just witnessed firsthand the transformational power of the the gospel of love that Jesus summarized with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And it was those commands that I held on to fast like with, with great strength as I, as I was first a teacher and I, I taught for, for many years, in everything from kindergarten to grade eight, and then moved into a resource teacher role, and then eventually moving into a, a school leadership role. So that, that language of love was a, was a pillar for me. And I know that in many times through my, through my years, that whether as a teacher, a resource teacher, a principal, I failed. And I, I didn't hold true to that, but that that call just kept coming back. And I knew it was the foundation um, that I needed to, to build my career on, my professional life on. And I saw how it, it impacted students that were under my care. And then as my circle of influence grew, I saw how it influenced my staff and the community I was leading. And so a key verse for me was John 13. 35, by this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But that's where the question is, what does love for one another look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? And those are the things I kept asking myself, my students, and then eventually my staff. We know one Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all of those things. But it's, it's the action that goes with it. How do we do that? So I wanted to lead a school with that in mind. How how do we take this this command of Jesus to love one another and put that in context of of a school and to have it be actionable? Even in my classroom work, but then as I moved into Halton Hills, we really worked at trying to define what that was and how do we have school be a place of safety, of welcome and belonging, and not just for the in-group, but for those who may be on the on the fringes. So whether that's diversity of of race, diversity of learning, but also diversity in what was brought to the school. So we at one point in this journey, we opened our admissions process as a school so that we had people of various faith backgrounds, not just Christian backgrounds, but different backgrounds come to the school. What does love require became a mantra for us as a school. And I remember when it first sort of grabbed hold, I was leading a staff professional development, a staff retreat, and we were unpacking a survey that had been done with the community and where we were shining, where were areas of growth and things like that. My prep work had led me to to ask this question of the staff. How do we take this information that we have here and what does it look like? To put love in there. That was really a very transformational kind of meeting. And that became a mantra for us as a school. What does love require? What does it require in your classroom? And when I'm walking down the hall, when I'm greeting someone in the office, what does it mean for learning? So we began to unpack that in multiple layers throughout the years.
0: So you share in in the MindShift book and in your case story, some of the the outworkings of that. So I love the stories about the students who sponsored someone who was immigrating to Canada. I know the story about the play group that you had with with another school from a completely different faith background. So I'm wondering if you can share just maybe either one of those two or your favorite story about what this actually looked like in practice at the school, because you really, it, it pushed, I think, and uh, in, in you shared everyone kind of out of their comfort zone a little bit.
1: Oh, it did. It scared people. It scared people on staff because as soon as we began to look at what does love require in learning, we knew we couldn't stay where we were. We had to go on a journey and we had to, we had to figure out other ways to impact kids. So we had to get out of the factory model of school And look at other pedagogies and other ways to do curriculum. So that pushed us into project-based learning, responsive classroom, all those kinds of things. So that was scary for some folks. And some folks didn't want to go on that journey. And that fell on me as as a school leader to say, no, this is the way we're going. This is the vision. We're going from here to there. I'd love for you to come along. And I'm going to support you in that. We're going to have the PD to go with that. There's going to be the resources. But this is where you're going. So either you're on the bus or you're off the bus. And some people had to leave the bus. So there it impacts, it impacts even right down to staffing. And it also impacted in what we believed about the whole child. We weren't just educating the mind. We were educating the soul and we were educating the body. That had us look at different ways that if we believe if we believe that deeply, that children were participants in this, our students were participants, not being done to them in a factory, but they're participating with us, that had us begin to look at other ways to do that. And project-based learning was one of those ways. So there were teachers who seized that. I remember our first venture into this, we had a group of students and teachers that decided they wanted to investigate deeply why the town we were in did not have public transportation because we were a pretty big center, but we didn't have public transportation. We had heard rumors as to why that was so. They grabbed that full tilt. They did a whole traffic study. They asked some hard questions, and it turned out that some of the rumors were true. There was a a very much a historical decision in the town we were in to not have public transportation because we wanted to keep the people who would use public transportation out of this very white, homogeneous community. And the kids began to react to that. They made presentations on this to the town council. They made presentations even at the regional level. They had urban traffic planners come out. It was very significant. And I think it, it opened up things for kids, but it opened up things for us as a school as well, even as teachers, as we looked at that. So that led to other projects. And one of the, the main, pro- or a very exciting project we, we did As a school was a class got involved with sponsoring um, refugees from Eritrea so our our office administrator had a connection with someone who knew of two Eritrean men who were trapped in Israel they had to flee there for their lives but now they were in Israel and they were not legitimate and they needed a home. So our kids got quite animated about that. And so they partnered with the local church. They ran a a benefit concert that not just a little in-house benefit concert (laughs) in the school. This went big. They raised over 10000 dollars They did a a newcomer's guide to welcome the the refugees to Canada. But this this took years like this isn't a one and done and you get it done in six weeks and you know you move on. This this took years, so the students were in grade five, and I think the first refugee made it here when they were in eighth grade, and they were there at the airport to welcome, you know, the Canadian flag and and things like that. And the story continues. His brother is now here, and just this past year, the one man's wife and kids, who they had not seen each other for 15 years, made it to Canada. Wow. And our students who are now in high school are still very, very involved with that and supporting this family. And yeah, it, it just emp- it, it was empowering and it showed us again, just the value and the impact that students can have because we asked the question, what does love require for us in education? So that's just one story. And I could tell multiple, like I, I think of some of our kindergarten classes who looked at oceans, and litter in oceans, and how they got incensed about that and what they could do as a, you know, as a five, six year old and things like that. So the story just keeps repeating itself in different shapes and forms. But it just affirms that this, this matters so much. But it also matters When we looked at what love requires in building bridges with the community, because we used to be, and I don't know if this is true for any of your listeners, a bit of an insular place, like we all kind of looked the same, we sounded the same, we came from the same faith communities, and we didn't want the out there people even to really notice us if we could fly under the radar. But when we held fast to what does love require, we had to look outward. And we knew that Jesus was always looking outward and who he spent his time with or what did that mean for us as a community or a school so we looked at ways to engage with our community and not just to be you know that they knew about us for our sake but that we would be a contributing member in the community and I remember one distinct um, moment my board chair and I had been invited to a meeting of the town council and and the planning committee because they were looking at a place to build a a medical center, but they needed some extra parking for the, the doctors and nurses who worked there. And we happened to be close by. So we got called to that meeting to see if we would consider letting them park on our property. And you could just tell you, we walked into the room and the tension was high and people were unsure what, how we were going to react. And we were asked the question we had prepared and we knew what we could offer and we did it with grace and we did it with warmth and with welcome. And that I, I remember distinctly the pressure in the room just went, bo- went down and we gathered around the table as partners. And that just has become a transformational story um, for us as a school because that led to us needing some support for another project we were in, you know, the mayor visits once a, once a year and. We've just had, that's been a friendship now. It's been a collaborative friendship. And yeah, again, I think that's what love required us to do. I think it also really impacts you in your discipline with students. And that's where there was some pushback, because when I took the approach of what does love require, I asked the question, discipline for discipleship, not just discipline with the consequence or punishment. And that began to change. And it changed even how I handled things as a school leader. It took a whole lot more time, but it was more life impactful. And there, were, yeah, there were still consequences, but they were not as punishment oriented. And people had to wrap their head around that. But again, it takes time. It's a slow kind of unfolding. Even the kinds of things we asked our students to do, we wanted to ensure that they were understanding what was happening so we we inside of themselves because we knew they were coming from a wide background we knew that we needed to change how we taught we knew we could make no assumptions anymore that everybody knew their bible stories from sunday school so that changed how we had to teach those lessons but we also wanted to hear where the kids were at so we built in a whole process called a graduation presentation And our grade eights have to present themselves each year in the late spring for graduation by doing a 20 to 30 minute presentation that that demonstrates that they've thought about faith and learning. It wasn't that we were looking for a confession of faith because we didn't want just lip service, but we wanted them to reflect on the things they've learned at our school and how is, is that impacting with where they're going in the future. And those have been just beautiful, brilliant moments in in our school story. And parents and grandparents come to this. Yeah, it's stopping kids to just actually think. But we had to ask, does love require that we do this? Not just put them on the belt and send them out the door. So it just impacts everything, Lynn.
0: So it sounds like, you know, as, as we're listening and just being familiar with your story, that this question of, of what does love require, it was almost kind of like a a tool on your journey, if you will, to make the school's Christian mission more authentic or, or maybe lived out more fully in every area of the school for students and faculty. Would you say that, that that would be fair?
1: I would say that's very fair. I think it's we always were, but this just encapsulated us and gave us a filter by which to, to make decisions. So, we were always a school, like a Christian school, and we, it's in our mission statement, our vision statement. But this was just an easy way for staff, for board, for myself, and, and even parents to begin to make decisions. And then we took that theme and, and then we built on it. We sort of added flesh to the bones as, as uh, years went by. So, one year I challenged the staff. Let's look at our school. Are we an outpost of grace? Because love requires grace. Like that was always what Jesus did. So, how are we being an outpost of grace, a place of safety, a place of nurture, a place of comfort, so that you can then go back out into the wilderness? So, we we use that kind of analogy. We just kept unpacking that as years went by as to what that could mean for us and where it could impact us.
0: So well, as you think about other schools that are listening, educators that are listening, you mentioned a couple of the the challenges, you know, that this took people out of their comfort zone. Some people, you know said, this is rolling really not for me and 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 went elsewhere. But as schools think about, you know, maybe we do need this type of a guiding question to ground us in in the story um, that we're in in the gospel story. What are some, some encouragement that you would have for them, some bumps they might find along the road, and and just some ways that they would be able to overcome it?
1: I would say to teachers, Christ was misunderstood too when he was here on the earth. So just know that. Just know that we are going to be misunderstood. And so if you can know and anticipate, sometimes it's not quite as shocking when it comes. And a verse that, has, that I've held on to during my life and The staff can recite it or could recite it. John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And there have been many times I've been hanging on to my, with my fingernails to that word, but because it takes great faith and great trust. But I say that as an encouragement to leaders who are struggling with this. Like I have staff pushing back, I have parents pushing back, or my board isn't getting it. you're in the butt, this is what you're called to do. It takes great faith, great trust, know your values, stay true to them, be have integrity, have humility, ask questions, continue to learn, feel yourself, like be strong as a leader to know that you are being, you're doing what God's calling you to do. And then know that there's going to be reluctant travelers on this journey of transformation. I mean, you can read scripture and know that Moses had a whole, a whole group of them behind him. But yet that did not stop him from following and leading where God was directing. And some people didn't go on the journey with Moses. We know that story. So you have to be brave enough as a leader to call that out. And that comes with pain. And I have many of those stories of, as well of, of pain. And there's times that I did not react as quickly as I should have to that. And leaders don't know what I'm talking about in that. But you also know that you have to continue to scaffold this. Like this isn't transformation that day one. Okay, what does love require? And now everything's going to flow from there. This is a journey. And go at it slowly. Go at it faithfully. Go at it, you know, together. Unpack it. Begin to look at all the aspects of your school through that eyes. And find people who share this passion with you. And who will speak words of encouragement to you and begin to look for shifts and celebrate those small things. And I and I remember talking to my staff once and said sometimes it's like climbing a mountain and you're going round and round and round and round in these, you know, back and forth. You need an outlook once in a while to remember how far you've come and that the top is still there, I still have a journey to go, but I've come a long way. So Find places of celebration along the way, and then encourage each other in the journey. And don't go it alone. Find people who share this passion with you, other leaders, either within your school or within you know a leadership group that that you might be part of. And know that things will start to look different, and that's okay. Students may not all know the same thing, but that's okay. We're going to do this together, and students are partners with us. So I just really want to. Yeah, just encourage teachers and and leaders to stick with it. Don't let fear freeze you. Walk into fear. Anticipate it. Know it's okay. All, All of us are fearful. The courage comes. The bravery comes when you walk forward in spite of fear. And you know, you never know. You might find yourself one day inviting a Muslim school for a play date. That's what we did. I remember the day that the grade four teacher came to me and said, Marianne, what do you think? Like our kids feel they don't know any Muslim children. And they were reacting to a a very significant shooting that happened in New Zealand. And they wanted to know more. They wanted to just become friends. She goes, I think love requires that we do this. I had a little moment of fear. Like, what are the parents going to think? We're inviting a whole Muslim school. Like, are they going to want to come? Like, you know, we just proceeded. And It was a beautiful thing to see our children playing with their children. And and the things they found they had in common were more than the things that kept them separate. So I just say proceed, proceed, proceed.
0: Well, thank you so much, Marianne, for encouraging our leaders, our teachers, the students as they grow in their faith and serve God. And I just love the The impact that it, the, the outworking it had into the community, that's not just something that happened within the school, but it's something that filled over into your community as well. It's such a powerful story. And I'm always grateful when you get a chance to share it. And and so thank you for your insights today.
1: You're welcome. And just God's blessing on anyone who's listening to this. It's worth it. It's worth it. What does love require? It can be transformational.
0: And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education
1: forward.